we honor no one more than our Savior Jesus Christ and the Word of God, which we teach and learn something new from the Word of God. Every week is the goal. Turn to the book of Philemon, that one-page book in your New Testament, or swipe, and we're going to learn about rebuilding healthy relationships. It's amazing that God, in everything He could put in His Word, is going to focus in, in the Roman Empire, on two people. Philemon, a wealthy Christian who has a home in his church, who had a runaway slave named Onesimus, who was not a believer. Now, at this time in the Roman Empire, Rome ruled the world, and there were about 60 million slaves. Most of them were sold themselves into slavery because um, of debt, but slavery was an evil, and it has been since it's plagued on this fallen planet, but God is greater than that. So Onesimus has stolen from his godly master, Philemon, and he's taken off, tried to hide in the large metropolitan Roman area. But God has, you can't hide from the Lord. So the Lord finds him. Paul brings him to the Lord. And Philemon becomes a beloved brother. Excuse me. Onesimus becomes a beloved brother. So Paul realizes, wait, I, I know this guy who you ran away from and stole from. So Paul is sending him back with a letter to Philemon, not only to him, but his wife, his son, most probably. That's the beginning, the greetings. This is a beautiful picture of the heart of God because of everything you could put in the Bible. It's just going to be about two people who really don't have to be close. It's between this messed up relationship from the beginning, a master and a slave. That shouldn't even be. But God even fixes that. You can start something wrong and the Lord can make it right. Come on now. Oh, I want that. I want that in every relationship. Well, we just started wrong. Well, this didn't go well when we started. God can bring it together. So that's what we're learning right here about rebuilding healthy relationships. No matter what the start was, God can do it. All right, so here we are. Philemon, uh, we're going to read 8 through 16. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting... Yet for love's sake, I would rather appeal to you. This is Paul appealing to Philemon and is really his whole house. Being such a one as Paul the aged and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus. Well, he takes high responsibility as godly people do as Paul does, calling him his own son. Whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I am sending him back, therefore receive him. That is my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. Paul's under house arrest in Rome. He writes five books of the New Testament there. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might be, not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntarily. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave. I've got something better for this relationship. If you'll put me in the middle of it, God will fix it and make it better. A beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Well, let's look at this and learn something new from the Word of God. You know, I was thinking about this is a personal letter um, that finds its way by the hand of God into this 
into our inspired Bible right here, I think, man, God has such a high premium on fixing relationships. That's a high premium he's going to put on fixing relationships. So let's look at this. Verse 8 and 9. Therefore, though I might be very bold, yet for love's sake, I'd rather appeal to you. Now, we have to remember that Paul's an apostle. He's a big deal. He has seen Jesus Christ in, in himself, right? He's in Acts, in the vision, he was going to persecute the church. The Lord comes in and says, Paul, Paul, uh, he calls him Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He encounters God. He becomes the leader of the Gentiles. He's a successful missionary. He's planting all these churches. He has all this influence, not only as the apostle, but guess where Philemon's from, Colosh. And Paul planted the church in Colosh. Philemon most probably came to the Lord because of who? Paul. He has all of this spiritual authority, not only because of the position, but also personally. It's personal authority. But he says, I'm going to tell you, I lay all that down right now. I lay all the authority down. He throws off as much as possible the dignity of an apostle and even fatherly authority so he can speak to his friend, so he can speak humbly. He makes himself less than Philemon, even though he's really more than. Well, that sounds like somebody. I know. His name's Jesus, right? That sounds like my Savior. Number one on your notes. Authoritarian language should be used the least. Come on, say least. Paul doesn't use it. He doesn't want to. He doesn't need to. He, every once in a while, when he has to, he does. That's like Jesus. Jesus was so humble. The way he spoke, only when the Pharisees or someone came at him, he had to stand up and say, whoa, 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 don't make me flex. The world will blow up. <laughs> it's true. I want to show you Jesus' teaching on this because it was totally contrary to the culture. Remember, we got Rome here. You got the gladiators. You got authority. You got the police walking around with swords on their hips. They're buff. They got shields. Authority is what rules in Rome. That's kind of like our culture now. Look, might makes right. huh? You're going to watch people on Sunday morning in a few weeks because of their ability, because of their authority, because of what they can physically do. That's the culture. And Paul says, not in, my, not in the kingdom of God. Not like that. Watch what Jesus teaches in Luke 22. Luke twenty two twenty four. Now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. The disciples always get into it. You always get into it when you jockey for position. Doesn't matter if it's in your job, especially at home. Don't even jockey for position with your kids. You usually lose anyways. <laughs> Just lovingly tell them this is it. Who would be the greatest? And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles, that's specifically saying this culture that's all around you, the Romans and even the Greek culture, Romans ruled by might, Greeks by philosophy. This Gentiles exercise lordship over them and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. Like they're doing this for your good is <laughs> what they thought. But not, what does that say? But not so among you. This is a relational issue the disciples are having, right? It has caused a division in the closest of friends. 
men called by God to work together to plant and expand the local church. And because they're jockeying for position, division has happened, right? But not so among you, he says. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger and he who governs as he who serves. Authoritarian language is not our language, Christians. The world uses it. TV may use it, but we don't because there's only one authority. It's God. And we can humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, and he will lift us up. Listen to the way Paul says it one other way in 2 Corinthians 5, 14. Look at this. Just the first few words. Look at that. For the love of Christ, what? That is what compels us, not authority. It's the love of Christ that compels us the way we think, the way we talk, what motivates us, not authority. I hold an old story one time. It was a new private just entered into the army. I mean, he was wet behind the ears. He didn't know much. And he's kind of an insecure guy, so he's mouthing off, and he's trying to jockey for position among his group. And an older gentleman in uh, not Class A uniforms, but just your casual dress, comes in. And the private's mouthing off and talking about all these things. And the, the, the old guy walks by and he looks over and makes a snide remark. Well, the old guy kind of turns like this and smiles. And the private realizes, whoa, that guy's not only got stripes on his arm, I see a star. He had just mouthed off to a general. Well, the young private goes white and then goes red. He's scared. And the general just looks at him and goes, son, it's okay. Just be glad I'm not a second lieutenant. (laughs) Be glad I'm not the lowest rank who just got in here and is insecure. Because that's the guy who struggles with authority, who wants to make sure everyone knows who's controlled. The old general goes, you know what? I'm not worried about it. I'm secure in who I am. This is also the nature of our God. Have you ever wondered, Lord, I just, it's hard to see difficult and sin and things and you're sovereign and in control. God doesn't function in any insecurity. He doesn't have any of that in his nature. Nothing moves or bothers him. He functions on his own perfect will all the time. So we have confidence that's who we serve. He doesn't need to exercise an authoritative language unless he wants to exactly the way he wants to. There's no insecurity with the Lord. Let's keep looking. We're in verse 12. I am sending him back. You therefore receive him. That is my own heart. Well, that's very personal, right? That's deep, my own heart. And you think, okay, what is, that, what is he saying there? What, is, what does that mean, he's sending his own heart? Well, he's sending the deepest part of him, like, I want you to love him like you love me, right, in my stead. But it also speaks of something else. You know, I think about Paul. Paul constantly was trying to control and change everything before Jesus. He was the biggest control freak that ever existed on the planet. If you read Paul before Jesus, no one had greater control issues than him. He says, I was a zealot. He was a, a, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He, control was the what he wanted. In fact, so much when it got out of control, all these people started giving their life to Jesus and all this was happening. He said, no, no, we're shutting this all down. 
I was born a Jew, I'm going to die a Jew. That's the way it's going to work. And persecution happened because of his desire for control. This is a totally different Paul. Paul is so surrendered. Paul gives his heart in the person of Onesimus because Paul surrendered. Let me explain it like this. I learned how to pray by watching people pray. I learned how to serve by watching servants, right? I learned how to lead by watching leaders. The reason why Onesimus has a heart like this is because he saw it in Paul. If we are going to have healthy relationships, number two on your notes, change happens when surrender is present. There's a surrender in Paul that's also in Onesimus. And therefore, he sends him back with confidence. He knows this relationship is going to be okay. He knows because that surrender is in Onesimus that wasn't there before. Paul understands rebellion. He had it too. And that's why he could work with Onesimus so well. He knows that change is happening because when he goes back, he knows Philemon's a man of God and he knows... Onesimus is surrendered, and that's going to change everything and make a healthy relationship when there never was one there. So how do we get to this place of surrender? Well, it's actually right here in verse 13 of Philemon. Whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. Who I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. Now, you ever made a pros and cons list? Yep, you've done that? If we made a pros and cons list of why Paul should have Onesimus there and why he should be back with, Phil, with Philemon, Paul would win hands down. Paul's under house arrest, right? <laughs> he needs some help. There's a Roman guard chained to his arm. <laughs> he, he, he can't just get up at any time. He's older. He has physical ailments. Onesimus has been a great help to the aged Paul. Not only that, Paul was involved deeply in his conversion and currently in his discipleship of Onesimus. All of the the pros are on Paul's side, not so much on Philemon's side, right? But Paul still again goes lower. He again says, you know what? I wish to keep him with me, but I'm not going to do that. I don't have self-interest or a dog in this fight. Number three on your notes. Willingness to lay aside self-interests brings breakthrough. If you want breakthrough in a relationship, lay down your self-interest. Amen? Right? I learned this the hard way when I first got married. Right. Y'all are like, oh, yeah. When I first got married, I thought, I'll just, I'll push and I'll drive and I'll fix everything. I'm the leader, right? So what I did was I just push and I drive, all right? This is what we're going to do. This is the way we're going to do it. Well, when she wouldn't want to do that, my wonderful, almost perfect wife, <laughs> when she wouldn't want to do that, I said, well, okay, that's fine. Um, this is what I want to do and I can't make it happen. So I'll go above me. I'll quote scripture to her until she listens. I'm going to tell you, men, go not that way. It leadeth to destruction. 
Was the word of God wrong? Absolutely not. Was my motives in using it wrong? Absolutely. This is hard to imagine. The word of God I was using, I was quoting it right, but it was for self-interest, not for her. Guess what God did not bless? That! I don't know why. I thought it was supposed to work every time. If your Bible's not working, that may be the reason. <laughs> That's a theological difficulty. I'm, I went way out on a branch. I'm coming back. <laughs> Willingness to lay aside self-interest. That is what brings breakthrough. I'm willing to lay aside everything I need. And I'm the more needy one, Paul's saying, at this season of my life. I am the more needy one. I don't care. I don't care, actually. I'm more concerned about the will of God and the health of this relationship that's broken. James 3.17 says this so well, right here. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure. No dog in the fight. It's got no ill will. It's got no manipulation. It's pure. Then peaceable. It wants peace. It's desiring peace, for he's a God of peace. Gentle. What are the next three words there? Willing to yield. That's the above wisdom. That's what we see right here. Paul was willing to yield. My Savior was willing to yield. I want to be a person in every relationship that's willing to yield. Not to sin. Not to falsehood, that's not where we yield. But in my self-interest and what I need or want, I want to be willing to yield. I have learned this the hard way again. Because every time you get some, you need to know this, don't get a lot of new stuff, it makes it harder to yield. Okay? For my 40th birthday, I got a 65-inch 4K TV. Oh, it's beautiful. As far as things on this planet, Beautiful. Like, you can see the blades of grass on the field. That's how beautiful. But the problem is now, I have a problem with yielding the remote to the children who want to watch cartoons. I didn't have a problem yielding the old TV, because like, ah, it's an old TV, you know, no big deal, whatever, it's not 4K. But now, when the stakes are higher, that is where we struggle with yielding. Amen? So we have to be aware that we need to be willing to yield whatever it is. The stakes are high here, and Paul is willing to yield. Let's keep looking. Verse 14. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, because you feel like you have to, as it were, but voluntarily. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing. One of my favorite quotes that has become a life quote for me, submission is not submission until it's tested. Submission in your life to a spouse, to whatever it is, you have to submit to your work, your boss. It's not submission until it's tested. When it's tested, then you'll know if you have submission. If we all want to go to McDonald's, it's all good until someone who's a sinner wants to go to Burger King, right? Then we'll see where the submission is. 
Paul says, I want you to know that I'm not doing this without your consent. Even though I have all the authority, even though I could, I want you to know that my submission to your to what your answer is going to be is true. It's tried. But without your consent, I want I wanted to do nothing that your good deed might be not of compulsion as it were, but voluntarily. Number four in your notes. Reliance on God creates healthy relationships. If you learn how to be submitted, you'll learn how to rely on God. Now listen, if you're a submitted person to a fallen, non-perfect person, like this, or whatever relationship it is, I'm pointing to my wife. (laughs) Then you'll learn to be reliant on God. Why? Because they're flawed. Because you'll have to live on his grace. You'll live on his goodness, knowing that his grace is sufficient for you in all things. Is that the gospel? Yes, his grace is sufficient. So you'll learn reliance on God when you say, without your consent, I'm not going to do that. Paul also learned this in 2 Corinthians 1. This is 8 through 10 in the ESV. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. They thought they were going to die. We've validated by this scripture. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. There's a few different theological views here. One, Paul was so sick. You know, he had a lot of physical problems. He was going to die. Secondly, because of the persecution. Theologians are kind of split. Um, Reading it, I thought, you know what? It's probably both. (laughs) It's probably both. The sentence of death. But that was to make us, what does that say? Rely not on ourselves, himself or ourselves, or his group, but on God who raises the dead. Now, this is a deep scripture. He has stepped into the faith of Abraham. What did Abraham say when he was getting ready to sacrifice Isaac? You can read in Hebrews. If he dies, the Lord will raise him up. I am so utterly convinced that God can resurrect whatever it is. I rely on him for everything. In fact, if we die here, he'll raise me up. That is how convinced. That's salvation. When I breathe my last, I'll be more alive than ever. Amen? And you too, Christians. Reliance on God creates healthy relationships. It's freeing, isn't it? It's so freeing to not put expectations. I rely on God. I just rely on Him. I'm free. I'm free in relationships. It'll free the other people too because you don't put expectations on them. It'll free them. They'll do more free than than they'll ever do with you trying to control Let's look at one more here. Verse 15 and 16. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother. Perhaps God has something way more important and for you to focus on than earthly 
relationships. Perhaps earthly relationships, while important, they matter, are closer to what Solomon said, like a vapor. And there's something way more important that we always need to have in our view, that we're not just looking at the, at the temporal, but we're always looking at, number five on your notes, eternal relationships are always our highest goal. Eternal relationships, that is our highest goal. I would feel totally unsuccessful if I had a long-term relationship with anyone and I didn't talk to them about Jesus. And I didn't talk to them about, I know that I'm going to heaven if I die right now because I know my Savior, his name is Jesus, and he saved me from my sins. It would be the greatest travesty of my life to have a long-term relationship and it to be not eternal. That is the greatest heartache of mankind. Amen? So we deal with all relationships like this. We, we deal with all relationships like this. This is the picture in the book of Revelation. Let's look at it. Let's go forward in time. Revelation 22, 3 through 5. And there shall be no more curse, praise God, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. Count to how many days there are. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads, and there shall be no more night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord, the God, for the Lord God gives them light. And they shall reign forever and ever. Is they plural? The relationships there is most important. That they're eternal. That we have an eternal perspective. Years ago, when I was, before I had kids, I was watching Dr. James Dobson. And if you have, you probably know that name. You've heard it before. He's an older guy now. He's He's a very laid back guy, isn't he? I mean, he's like my old man. I mean, he, I've never even heard him raise his voice. He's just, you know, so happy, and he's a psychologist, and he talks like this, and he, he's just not flamboyant. Like, I've yelled more in my life by the time I was five than he did in like 50 years. He's, he, he's, just, he's just even kill. It's great. He's, a, he's you know, great on the radio. So I'm watching a video from him, and it's shocking because he's talking to a group of teenagers, and this was years ago when I was a teenager. I'm watching this video, and his son is in the audience, and it's a small group. It's like, you know, 15, 20 people, and he's passionate beyond. I didn't even know he could go to this level. Like, I didn't know you had that, and he's pleading with this group, and about halfway through it, you realize his son is in the group, and he keeps saying over and over and over, just be there. Would you just be there. He talk about Christ to save you, and he talk about how God changes life. He talk about the gospel, and over and over, just be there. Just be there. A man who was more concerned about his son's relationship with his heavenly father than with his own earthly father. He was more concerned about his relationship with his heavenly father than his own relationship with his son. 
and this is Dr. Dobson, and this is, you know, the psychology king. I was like, that's it right there. That is a focus on eternal relationships. Let's stand up. Let's just spend a couple minutes with Jesus. Let's just think about how he can fix any broken relationship, even this one that started so bad. It's a forced relationship, and they didn't, one of them didn't even want it, Onesimus. But when God comes in, he can make anything healthy. If he can take the dead and make them alive, both physically and spiritually, he can fix anything. So once you spend a few minutes with Jesus, a few minutes with the people next to you that you love so dearly, and think about this and let the Lord just speak to you and let the Lord fill you with faith, knowing that no matter where your relationship is, He is the God who fixes it. He's the God who can make it healthy.
Anything we take our hands off and surrender, where we don't have self-interest, but we have your interests in mind. We thank you, Lord, that purity is coming into relationships because of this. We thank you that you are increasing, Holy Spirit, your work in homes and marriages and parenting because of this. Lord, we thank you because of this model that we're lining up with. Lord, you are increasing peace and wisdom and joy that comes from you alone, God, in relationships. Oh, Lord, relationships are good, but when you're involved in them, that's when they become supernatural. So we thank you that supernatural things are happening in homes. They're happening, Lord, because you are involved in them. As we surrender every day of our life, we surrender all of our relationships, no matter what stage they're in, and we thank you that when we give it to you, it gets better. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray, and everyone said, Amen and amen. Before we leave, we have a family who's leaving, but we are going to rejoice and send them off in the Lord. They are moving to Dallas because her husband is a pilot, and that's where they are going to be. Laura, can you come up and her family with her? Come on, I love these guys. Her husband is not here. He's probably flying somewhere, and they have two more kids. This is, her, this is Laura, and her husband is Bruce, and this is Bruce's parents from Scotland. We love him. Every time I come, he smiles, encourages me. This guy loves the local church. He's always encouraging me. I love it. Yes. Um, my family, my husband and I moved here just over six years ago. And we spent the first few years, you know, visiting churches around town. We weren't really sure where we fit in and where our home was. Um, and I met Megan. I'm going to cry. Sorry. Um, I met Megan at a homeschool circle. And, um, it was genuinely your love for the Lord that brought us to this church. And so I want to say thank you, like, first of all, to God. But thank you to both of you for your obedience to the Lord, for your willingness not to just preach at us, but your, um, your gift that God has given you to teach us and to disciple us. And um, thank you for loving our family so well. Oh, y'all made it easy. <laughs> and this is hard. These are hard things. But, but I want to show you a scripture. This happened. This, this, is, this is a part of life. And I want to show you Acts 14, 23. It says, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, they, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord. Because Paul and they were leaving. It was, a, it was a separation. In fact, he wouldn't see some of these on this side of heaven again. They committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. First of all, these are believers. They love Jesus. I've, I've, I've talked to Bruce, her husband. I fished with him. I, you bring a guy on a boat, you know if he knows Jesus or not. <laughs> you 
has a wonderful heritage of faith with his parents. But the words, they committed them to the Lord. I'll tell you, has anyone ever given something holy to the Lord and had it gotten worse? No. It only gets better, doesn't it? They committed them to the Lord. And this is what kept coming to me, and this is my prayer for you. Megan, lay hands on them. Church, let's pray for them. This wonderful couple. Laura, we commit you to the Lord. And in that we know you will have better relationships where you're going. You will find closer connections than my wife. Your children will find better, more godly families and relationships than you have had here. You will find closer church and love it more than this one. Because we're committing you to the Lord and your precious children and your husband, Bruce. I thank you, Lord, that as we commit them to you and to your will and your plans and purposes, that this is what is going to happen in their life. They are going to flourish in every way. We thank you for spiritual growth and flourishment in every possible way. We thank you for it. We commit them to Jesus Christ. And we know we will spend eternity with them. In the name above all names, and everyone said, amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great day.